Good morning, beloved. What do we have? A very rainy Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday noon. It is dreadful outside. Our snow is almost all gone. And it is, it's the time of year where it's the, for me, it's the most difficult to be upbeat. You can't go outside and do anything in the winter or in the fun because it's raining or just gross outside. Uh, it's not, uh, it's just, it, it's terrible. It's just a part of life that you have to, have to endure. Man, I've been so excited about the changes that have been coming about from, Mama, you can hang out with us. You're, this is supposed to be only for Friday. Only for Friday. Your sense of entitlement here. I am week four in my Wim Hof breathing in cold showers. I saw in the chats that someone was, sit, was speculating that I'll bet five minutes before the live stream starts that he's just wolfing down some breakfast and just got out of the cold shower. That's not, <laughs> not too far from the truth. All of you who have been joining along with me and, and that are into week three, week four, I want to throw down a challenge for you and what I'm going to do uh, probably on Thursday. How about who, was, who would be up for a 10-minute cold shower? 10 minutes. We've all been doing three minutes, and now after yesterday, I felt like I owned it. Like I, I got to the point, we have a shower in our master bedroom that has, it, it's a four-foot square, and it has two shower heads on it. I have not had the courage <laughs> to, to turn on the other one. I only left one, and I was actually kind of cheating because one of them is, is, is a high flow, or not a high flow, a low flow, one of those ridiculous uh, water misers or economizer showers, which you can't hardly even get the soap off of you. But I figured uh, I'll start with that. But I turned the other one on today, and I got the full blast. And that was a different experience to have that intense cold water that you couldn't escape from on both sides. And I thought, you know what? We're going to do a challenge this week. By Friday, what I'm going to issue to you is a 10-minute cold shower. So put sevens in the chat if you're willing to do this with me. Come next Monday. I want to hear the reports back, but I'm going to do it. It's going to be horrible, but we're going to get there. We're working our way up till we can get into and do ultimately do the full plunge. All right, let's get started here. I have, uh, boy, I've been busy all morning. Uh, I've gotten so many nice emails. Well, I wouldn't maybe say nice emails, but emails from a lot of dudes with, with uh, uh, similar problems. Um, just being disrespected, disrespected by their families, disrespected in their own homes. And I've, I've been thinking about that all week, and I've been reading those, and there's just kind of a common thread that goes through those. And I'm wondering, why is it that we put up with this? Why do we think that we need to be so disrespected and mistreated? But before we get to that, we're going to do the lighting of the lantern. Now, we are about, is it three days? Three days in a row without a spillage, and that, for me, is a new record. I'm hoping to keep it up. Now, with the wood stove in the background, <laughs> the less we spill, the better. All right, so we're going to focus on this. We're going to fill her up. As I'm so fond of saying, you're watching a man operating at the extreme limits of his ability. All senses are engaged. So far, so good. So far, so good. Maybe by, if I do distract myself, maybe it won't frighten me so bad when I go to light the blasted thing. Okay. Man, we've got that. You know, you learn by doing here. 30 pumps. 
I see Stubby in the comments representing, throwing the lanterns up. Now for all of you members, I have something exciting coming up. You know the official knife of, the, of Proho is the Benchmade 940. And I was perusing around on the internet, looking around, and I saw 940s for sale on Amazon for about $28. And I thought, that can't be right. And I looked at it again, and I realized it was a fake. But it looked real. It looked so real. So then I jumped into the comments. Come on now. Come. Oh, goodness. I just watched, watched my life flash in front of me. This thing, how can it be? How can it be so inconsistent? I do the same thing every time. Good grief. It'll be the death of me. But that fake knife, that fake 940 should show up. And I'm very curious to see how that stacks up against the real one. So we'll do a members-only stream where we break them down all the way to the Omega Spring. What I'm wondering is, are the changes so interchangeable? There are some small, the little Honda 50 engine, the, the, little, Honda, the little single cylinder engine that they put in scooters forever. The Chinese have, have copied that so close. I've seen on some forums in different places, guys could actually change parts back and forth, cranks and pistons and all that. They absolutely, they, they cop, oh goodness. It went out twice. How much fuel was running? Okay. I don't remember Granddad having this sort of trouble. Okay, are we going? It's a love-hate relationship with this thing, I'll tell you. Okay, I think we're going. So, for you guys, I will be doing that. Members, that we're going to pull that part. We're going to get down into the meat of it and see what that's all about. So, that'll be kind of fun. Also, for members, we have two brand new emojis, and you can thank... The middlemen for that, they fielded your comments, and it was something I was not quite expected. If you look down there, you'll see custom emojis for members only. Now, that's a feature that is unlocked. The more members we add, the more emojis we can add, and I have left that up to the middlemen to pick. And they chose something very strange. We have the Wim Hof emoji, as well as the famed G19X. So, there you have it. 62 members to unlock the next emoji, and we will put those in there for you. All right. Let us get started here, goodness. So on the topic, I wanted to address a particular letter that I received from a young man, one of our subscribers, one of our fellow beloved here, who is 29 years of age and is, is really in a difficult and tough situation. Now, I understand that there is two sides to every story, but you can just kind of get a tell. If a guy takes the time and to write a long letter and lay things out, and, and you could, I don't know, you can just pick up on personality traits, and you just, he just seems, like, seem, just seems like a good dude. So I'm not going to out him by name or anything. But what's going on is he graduated high school. He's living at home. Family business. It's trucking. So he gets his CDL and starts working for his dad. He's got an older brother that works there as well. Well, after starting work and working for a little while and, and 
his dad comes to him and says, we can't, you can't have a job here anymore because we can't insure you. I don't know if it was a driving record. I don't know if it was age, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. Okay, that's fine. So then he goes and he gets a job. He said he got a job working for about four years at a concrete plant. And this whole time, he's such a good dude. He's so de dedicated to his family that he's working a full-time job. He's sacrificing, still living at home, and coming back and still working for, for his dad, for a small business. He said work until like dark, late, late at night, doing uh, cleaning trucks, uh, doing mechanical work. Apparently they have a fleet. I think it was a fleet of dump trucks or concrete trucks. And the whole time working in just this horrible environment where his brother is abusing him physically and making fun of him, telling him that he's stupid, telling him that he's a retard, telling him that it never amount to anything. A, a toxic environment in the shop where everything is completely chaotic, just there, where there's no place to even have a decent workbench where he can work on his own stuff or even keep things clean. And the whole time the family's fighting nonstop, his brother's fighting with his dad, his dad is demeaning him, his brother's demeaning him. And if that isn't enough back in the house, his mother is constantly accusing him of being, having a demon or being so, uh, so vile and satanic that she wishes God would come down and strike him dead. I mean, just it finds himself in a horrible situation from his entire family. And yet the whole time continues, year after year after year, to still support them and to still help out with the family business under all of this abuse. Now, it's hard to believe. You know, it's hard to imagine on the outside looking at that. You know, when you, if you... If you found yourself, you woke up and you found yourself in that situation, you automatically would, would extricate yourself, would you not? But it's not so simple when you're dealing with family like that, and I can really relate to it. You know, when I look back now on the, the stuff I had to put up with growing up in a Christian cult, and the shaming, and the abuse, and the control that came from that, and just constantly living in fear and everyone in that organization living in fear that someone else might find something out about them or or hear something or label you a black sheep to look at it now to actually live in that environment i mean it's just ludicrous but when you just don't know any different you think that that's normal and you just think that that's the way all families are and and that that just something that we have to deal with and unfortunately i guess maybe not one of the wonderful characteristics and traits of, of men are, is our ability to be calm and stoic and, and to bear terrible burdens, difficulties, patience. Look at what men have endured in combat. Look, look at men that just get up their entire life, go work 10, 12 hours a day and sacrifice for their family members. Even, even, even going to work every day and coming home to an ungrateful wife that's not contributing, that we just do that over and over again. And it's just something, it's just the way that God has made us, just to be stoic and to be able to endure these things. And we get into, we kind of maybe get tunnel vision and we get into thinking that that's just our lot in life and that that's just the way it is and there isn't any other way to, to live than that. And I would say, gentlemen, we need to look at things very differently. We have not realized that we are, I'm so fond of saying that we are the prize, that we have value. And if you, the, one of the, the first things that you'll learn and what's so important about coming to the truth of the gospel, coming to Christ, is you realize you, that or you're able to start breaking that programming, that, that, you, that you are indeed unique. When you realize and you start getting into the scriptures that you have been created, created in the very image of God, in His likeness, and that each one of us is individual and special, you know how special we are to our Father? 
you know, there's a lot of bad religion out there. And, you know, we hear all these things, spokes in the wheel and just another drop in the bucket. And when we die, you know, we're just absorbed into the collective, you know, just, just to be, you know, part of, of like a, the board, right? That's not the case at all. That is not scriptural and that is not what God tells us. The most interesting thing and one of the most encouraging things, and I've said it before, but I'll repeat it again. A lot of these things I'm going to have to repeat because we have new people coming that have never heard these before, and these truths are important. We need to break this, this false information. We need to, we need to break th these and un un throw off the shackles of these man-made ideas and these man-made religions that have been put out there to deceive us. God tells us that when we meet with him in the kingdom, after the judgment is over, all that, and we start living in, in, in the kingdom. That we have, I'll paraphrase here a little bit, but we, we basically, it sounds like to me how I discern it is we have kind of a one-on-one a, a one -on -one meeting with, with the Lord. And he gives us something, something unique to us. He gives us a small stone. And on that stone is written a name. This is your name. This is your new name. This is the name that God, I have to assume, has always known you by. We've been given a name by our parents or whoever, if we were an orphan, you know, maybe just someone random at the hospital. And we don't, in the West here, we don't put too, too much significance on names. They don't have a lot of meaning as they have in the past. God puts a lot of meaning on names. Whenever he, was, he did something that was going to be a radical change, like when he came and pulled Abram or Abraham out from his people and said, I will build upon you a new nation. He gave him and his wife a brand new name. This signified something. This signified a complete change in, in their life, change in who they were to become, change in their destiny. And God puts a, a, a lot of importance on this, and he tells us that he gives us this stone, and on this is written a name, and the only two people who know it are you and him. Why is that significant? That's significant because that tells me that God has a personal understanding and a relationship and has created you uniquely as a unique individual that's different than everyone else. Not better, not worse, but unique. That he respects that individuality. You're not just going to go up there and be part of a mass. You're not just going to be just, just a normie. You're going to be, you were created to be something special. You were created to be individual. And you need, we need to understand this. That we're special like that. One of the real big pitfalls of, of um, atheism and uh, the theory of, of evolution that we crawled out of primordial ooze and, and we're flying along in the earth on the spinning planet and there's millions like us and we're not really, we're not really anything special and we're just organisms. You know, that, that is a direct, that's a, that, is from the, that is a doctrine of devils to confuse us and to make us discouraged and, and to take away our self-dignity and, and understanding of how important that we really are to the Creator. So, with that being said, <clears throat> if, you haven't been, uh, if you haven't understood this, if you haven't understood what God has planned for you and what, he, what you're capable of doing with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you can start to think that you don't have any value. And if you don't measure up by standards that are put out by society, you're not six foot tall and you don't have a six pack and a jawline and all these things in a, in a keen mind, you start to think that you don't have any value. And when you don't see the value that you possessed and the potential that you possess, then it's easy to, for people to, to treat you poorly and you'll let people run you down and, and you'll start to believe it. And it's really, 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 really devious when this type of pressure and this type of treatment comes from your very own family. 
and, and it, it almost institutionalizes you. So what I want to point out to this young man is that always when you find yourself in a situation, the best thing you need, you've got to get away from it. You've got to get away from it. Now, I understand at 29, if you're still living at home and you're still putting up with this abuse, it's really at this point, it's your own fault. I had to get away from the environment that I was in. I left when I was about 19 or so. I understand how difficult it is. I had to leave everything that I knew. I had to leave all of my childhood, my best friends that I grew up with from the time I was an infant, that I, I learned to, to bike, ride bikes with, that I learned to shoot and hunt with. They were, they were my brothers, all of them, thir about 13 of them. As thick as thieves we were, we did everything together. And to be cut off from that was scary and it was difficult. But I, until I left that, I would never be able to achieve anything and I'd never be able to, to I guess, to, to glow up and, and become the individual that I am and to understand that, that we are all unique and special. So my advice to you, and if, this, if you're in a situation like this, and this could be family, this could be wife, uh, this could be your parents, whatever, you know, the Bible's really clear on that. God tells us if we're not willing to forsake these things, mother, brother, sister, daughter, husband, any of these things, then we're not worthy of the kingdom. We can't, you'll never be able to achieve anything until you get away from that horrible environment. What people say to you means things. Words mean things, and they have an effect on your psyche. And when they come from your dad, and they come from your mom, your mom tell, is telling you that you're demonic and you're a demon. Your brother, your blood is telling you that you have no value, that you're stupid, that you're a retard, that you're lazy. Your own father, who is supposed to be a place, to stand in the place of the Almighty as a child until you can get to the point where you can connect directly. I mean, it, it's, that's a tough deal, man. That's a tough deal. And sometimes you need a fresh pair of eyes from the outside, like I'm giving you right here, uh, to, to shake some sense into you. You need to get away from these people. I know it's going to be scary. I know it's going to be walking away from everything you ever knew, but get away from them. Get out there and, and start your own life. Get a job, get something going, get to the point. And then once you do that, once you separate yourself from them and you get a little bit of confidence and you get a few things going in your life, then you'll be strong. Then you'll be in a position where you can go back and you won't have to be a doormat. You won't have to be put up with that anymore. And as hard as it sounds, I just don't see any other option. Of course, ultimatums. You should always start with an ultimatum. But to be honest with you, at 29, if you're still dealing with this sort of abuse, is anyone going to really change? Is your dad going to change? Is your crazy mother going to change? It's not likely. Time apart or separation makes the heart grow fonder. And we despise things that are familiar to us. That, that old saying, familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. And that's something that is just happening. The ones that we love the most, the ones that are closest to us, our family, our wife, our husband, our children, you take them for granted and you, and you treat them worse than you would a, a complete stranger. I don't know why that is. It's just the way things are. And the best way, if you want to maintain a relationship or, or repair that, You've got to go out and you have to make your own way in life and then come back. And that time will heal a lot. And that's the, that's the advice I'd give you. And there's just a lot of dudes find themselves in that position. And, and my, heart, my heart goes out to you, man. I get it. It's tough. I, I had to deal with it myself. Let's jump into the super chat. Got a lantern huffing here nicely. We have a super chat from Evan Roach and brand new member. Welcome. Shout out to you, Evan. You have the Wim Hof emoji. How about that? Did, did you see the new emojis? 
Maybe the, the, some of you can throw those up there. Um, I didn't pick those, so if you don't like them, <laughs> blame the middleman, but they're pretty good. He says, hey, Cody, how does Proho handle a spouse becoming disabled and re redistributing the workload while not stalling or burning out? Thanks. When we get married, when I married Mrs. W, we took an oath. You probably took something very similar. In sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Unfortunately, in this civilization, Western culture, in America, such oaths and promises don't carry the weight that they once did. But God puts a, a huge significance on oath. He puts a huge importance on oath. That is everything. And an oath breaker is the same as a liar, and we're told there will be no liars in the kingdom. When you find yourself in that situation, I guess how I look at it with Mrs. W, and, and that could happen to us. You know, when we get older, I think about that all the time. What would happen if she came down with, with a sickness or a disease or something where I had to become a full-time caretaker? What would I do? Or vice versa. You know, and we've talked about this and we've made a commitment to one another that in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, that we are, we're ride or die in this relationship. And I guess what helps me is that as you go forward in life and no one knows what tomorrow's going to bring, there's a 50-50 chance that could be you. It could be her. It could be me that gets down. And most likely, because of my lifestyle and the risks that I take, it's, it's highly likely that so I, would be, I would have an accident more, more so than her where she would be required to, take, to look after me and, and take care of me. I think you just get, need to get the mindset that that's the way that it is and that's what we're doing. And who knows that you might get through that. And, and maybe, you know, maybe it's not a lifelong thing. Maybe it's not a death sentence or she's not going to be completely bedridden. She can come back up and be herself again. You know, that, that goodwill and that trust is going to make your marriage much stronger. She knew, knows that you stayed the course, that you were a faithful husband, that you were there for her to look after her. Can you imagine how much stronger your marriage would be after that? And who knows that it might be you that needs to be looked after and bedridden in the hospital for, for years or months or, 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 or who knows what. So I guess as a married couple, you just have to resolve that that's the way that we do it. That, that's the way that we look at it. And, and there's no point of trying to, to becoming resentful because you have to work on the cars and mow the lawn and paint the house and now you have to do the laundry and do the vacuuming and all that things. That's just the way that it is. That's the deal. That's the covenant that we made with our wife, with our husband when we got married. And it's, it's as simple as that. It would be a great sin, uh, it seems to me, to, to disregard a mate that has become sick and abandon them uh, because it was inconvenient to you. And it's, it's much more likely. You know, loyalty, men are typically, when it comes to loyalty, are, are a lot more loyal um, than women are. W women have, have the ability to, to, to change affections a lot quicker. Why is that? Did God make them that way? There's a term called hypergamy. You've probably heard of it. Hypergamy is the condition of a woman that will immediately abandon a relationship uh, or a marriage uh, if an opportunity of something that better comes up. Um, and this is commonly done. This is more, more, it's more ubiquitous now than probably ever. Now, is this a genetic flaw or is this something that God has designed in them? You know, I don't know. It may be that over the years that women have had to do this to adapt. If you have tribe A and tribe B and tribe A comes over and defeats tribe B and kills all the men, 
Well, the women have a choice. Either they can stand their ground and die with their husbands, or they can adapt and save their children, save their own lives. Now they have a new, new husband and they're just living in a different tent. You know, it could, it could be some of that. You know, it, it was a survival skill that's been adapted because, you know, they haven't had the protections, women by and large haven't had the protections in the past that, they've had, that they enjoy now. So I don't know, I don't know. But um, as for me, you know, I've just decided that that's, that's what I'll do. I, I, if Mrs. W needs looking after and needs care, caring for, uh, that's what my job is. And I would, I would imagine that, that our father would take a very dim view on someone that, that casts away um, a mate and, and runs away from his or her obligation because it's not convenient for them. You just have to figure it out. You just have to make changes. If you can't deal with the house, if it's too big, if it takes too much cleaning, if it takes too much effort to run all the house, then you need to, you'll need to downsize. Or if, you can't, if you're losing the income because you had a dual income, you're just going to have to downsize. You just have to figure it out and do whatever you have to do to make it happen. But remember, your happiness, our happiness in this life, that's not the, most, that's not the paramount con concern that we have. That we, we would think, you know, Mrs. W impressed me so much the other day. She understands this. We were, I, I told you that last week we took Jack into Portland to get him a, a suit for debate. And Jack was in the dressing room. We were just finishing up, and Mrs. W had come back to join us. And uh, we were having a conversation in the dressing room while Jack was getting, um, there was a, a seamstress there that was uh, getting him up his pants and measuring this. So we were talking. And this salesman said that, uh, was talking about Jack and how impressed he was to Mrs. W. And, and he said something to the fact, well, I hope, he, I hope he finds happiness, or he alluded to the fact of, I hope that everything he does will make him happy and, and everything will go perfect for him and all that. And Mrs. W. stopped him in mid-sentence and said, no, that's, that's not the most important thing. He said, I hope that he has integrity and he's an honorable person. His happiness, you know, happiness ebbs and flows. Happiness is not always going to be there. And if you're constantly chasing it, then you're constantly going to be, uh, you're going to constantly be uh, disappointed. There are times that we're happy. You know, King Solomon says there's, there's, there's a time for this and there's a time for that. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There's a time for celebration. There's a time for mourning. This is the cycle of life. This is the reason why if you're constantly chasing happiness and that's your goal, then you're going to be very misled and you're going to waste a lot of time chasing that and chasing that and chasing that. That's why we see celebrities and wealthy people jumping from marriage to marriage to marriage, chasing, 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 chasing that, that feeling, that happiness, that excitement that comes from a new relationship just to down the road end up with, as the old book tells us, gravel in their teeth. It's, it's, it's an elusive thing. It's like trying to grasp after the wind. Would you imagine, can you imagine living in the same environment all the time? Now, I told you I lived a year in Florida. And when I th first moved to Florida and I walked out into that warm ocean coming from the West Coast, from, a, from the Pacific Ocean, which is freezing. Like the moment you walk out of the West Coast, like on the Oregon coast, uh, you will not stay there very long, I assure you. You will turn back around. It is frigid, cold. No one's swimming around without a wetsuit unless you're a child uh, out in that water. When I stepped into that warm ocean, I thought, my goodness, where has this place been my whole life? This is absolutely heaven. Warm beaches. You never had to wear a coat on, no snow. I thought it was amazing. For the first month, I was down there every day, swimming in that warm ocean. Every time, I just couldn't believe it. Just shocking to me. Well, when the fall rolled around 
and nothing really changed and the seasons didn't change and it was still the warm ocean and still the, 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 you know, the, the sunny beach and all that and, and nothing changed, I, f I started to, to, to loathe it. I started to hate it. I missed the changing the seasons. I missed the changes in life because without the changes, without the winter and the summer to look forward and the autumn and the spring, I found it to be tedious and just hateful, to be honest with you. And I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Happiness can't really be enjoyed unless you've experienced sorrow because we don't really know. So having that change and, and having that, those things, you know where I'm going. I, I'm ranting here, but you, you get. Don't live in Florida. That's what I'm saying. Unless you're Florida man. He's a special breed. He was bred to live there, and he can exist in an environment that is not possible for a West Coast man. Farm Boy, brand new member. Welcome, Farm Boy. Shout out to you, and congratulations. We're glad to have you here. We have a super chat from JokerDog167. Shout out to you, Joker. He says, I am getting my first Bible today. What version should I get? NIV, King James, LIV, ECT. I would get the new King James Version. I would not recommend the NIV, the new international version. There are some, there's some pretty terrible, there, there's some pretty bad errors in there. Now, I have an NIV, and it's very readable. It's very popular with evangelicals and a lot of modern Christians because of the readability of it. I would say, once you have a good foundation and a good base in the doctrines, then you can go back there and you can use it. It might be helpful to you. But I would start with either the New American Standard or the New King James Version. The New King James Version is pretty much... Falls, it goes parallel with the King James without all of the antiquated language. But those are what would be considered to be conservative, meaning not going out there and not like coming up with, with the, the author's or the translator's own personal interpretation of Scripture. Now, nothing is going to be perfect. That's okay. You have everything that you need in there, but I would stick to a conservative translation. New American Standard is really readable, very good, or the new King James Version. Uh, start with that. Good question, though. And shout out to you. We have a super chat from our friend Dr. Pepper and to your members. Welcome. Welcome. He says, submission is more intense. Submersion is more intense. Prove me wrong. Submersion. Submersion. Well, I wouldn't know, would I? <laughs> I, I have... Um, what he's talking, I think what, what Dr. Pepper's talking about is we're talking about our cold showers. Now, if you're just joining us, we are many of us, four weeks in to taking three-minute cold showers in the morning to absolutely jumpstart your, your life. It is life-changing. It's been life-changing to me. It, it is, um, I was at a crossroads where I was about ready to get old, um, get in my, sit in, like for Christmases, put in my wheelchair, wheeled over by the curtains with a blanket on my, <laughs> but this has revitalized me. Wim Hof uh, has had a breakthrough discovery of, of the benefits, the health benefits of shocking yourself first thing in the morning with these cold showers. And I think what Dr. Pepper's talking about is full immersion. I will get there, but not today. I just can't go crawl into that icy water down there when there's snow on the ground. But I, I, a step by step, step by step, line by line, precept upon precept, I turned on both shower heads today. So that was a big thing for me. That was something I was a little bit frightened of. But I'll get there. I'll get there. But it is incredible how the body climatizes to it. Like, I, I keep, it keeps happening to me. It happened to me yesterday and today. Yesterday and today, I really felt like I was, I was, 
I was the boss of the shower. I was owning it in there uh, where it, it was literally not cold. I had to look. Some of you have said the same thing. I had to look. I did it twice today. I turned on my nozzle. I have it tepid warm. I jump in. I flip it hard over, and, and I tell Siri to start my timer right there, three minutes. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for the shock. I'm waiting for it to hit me, right? It doesn't happen. There isn't really any shock. And I thought this morning, I thought, oh, I didn't hit it enough. It's, it's still warm, or I hit it the wrong way. And I reached down to look at it. I'm like, no, it is. It's on full cold. I don't feel about you. I don't feel it. The, the body, the skin abs- ac- actually adapts to it and becomes used to it. I couldn't believe it. And when that happened, when that happened, when I thought that, the, that I had turned the water to warm when it was full cold, I'm like, okay, I can do it. I turned around to the other nozzle, turned it on, and, and that was it. And I, and I went for it. So, yep. I think the full submersion, I don't know. We'll see. It's easy to talk tough when you're not the one jumping in the icy water, isn't it? We'll see. I'll let you know. I will, when I do it for the first time, I will live stream it. I will live stream it for sure. We have a super chat from might 111 Shout out to you and new member. Welcome. Welcome. Good to have you here. He says, I did the cold shower and breathing for the first time today, and I'm amazed how much energy it gave me. I know. It's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I've noticed that it's best to do it before you eat. Now, I have my coffee first. I've never done it before my coffee, but I wonder... It wouldn't surprise me if that might be a substitute for coffee, that we might be able to just completely get rid of the coffee altogether. It wouldn't, that might be nice. That, I would hate to give up my coffee. It is such a, such a ritual for Mrs. W and I that we've always done it, that we, we enjoy it. She makes real, we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, I, I'm very encouraged to see that. And first day, it gave, gave him energy. Look at that. Would you like to have more energy? I mean, who wouldn't like to have more energy right now? It's, it's incredible. But it's important to do the, the breathing method as well. If you're wondering what that is, Wim Hof, the Wim Hof breathing method, method go, go Google it. You jump in the shower, three minutes, full cold. Get in there, man, like a bird in a bird bath. Get after it. Get in your head. Rotate, rotisserate around. You, will, uh, you might want to do it when no one's at home uh, the first time because there will be um, a, a, a guttural, a, a primal cry, a scream maybe, that will come out of you that will shock you that you didn't know was, that was contained within. <laughs> it happened to me and it happened to Mrs. W. I was laughing. I heard it. I was, I was editing a video and when she jumped in there and I heard her from quite a ways away. She, she was absolutely shocked by it as well. But shout out to you. Good job, Sinkable Might, man. I'm proud of you. Good job. We have a new member, Larry Copley. Shout out to you, Larry. Shout out to you. And Cast Iron Kyle. We have a super chat. He says, can I send you a skillet from my small business? I would love, I would be honored. You, you send us a skillet and we'll make some of Mrs. W's famous pancakes in it. Uh, you can send it, uh, just hit me an email, Cody at Wranglestar.com, and I'll hit you back with a P.O. box. Cast iron, yeah. There's, there's some, I've actually been watching some videos. There's some guys been restoring cast iron. I didn't realize some of those guys get pretty anal with that uh, of what you can put on there and how to season them, and and uh, that's a whole subculture that I didn't even know existed. We have a super chat from Andrew Rouse, Rouse like house and new member. Welcome, always good to see you here, Andrew. Andrew writes, Hey Cody, did you ever go through Chaz, even just to give them uh, some pro ho mojo? No, I well I. That was on the east side. I didn't go through there, but I've went down there several times 
uh, in downtown Portland, uh, like when they when they were burning the courthouse and all of that. So I'm very familiar with it. Man, it was unbelievable. When we went down there, it was last week. Now we're talking about going in, into the belly of the beast in Portland downtown. It is shocking. It's absolutely shocking. That one thing that's so sad is that Portland, even you know, a decade ago, you know, 10 years ago, was one of the most beautiful cities and one of the funnest places to visit of any city I've ever been in. It was immaculately clean. We had an army of uh, men and women that would go along the sidewalks with these carts and they would scrape gum off. There was no graffiti, nice storefronts, completely safe uh, any time of the hour, just lots of and the best food on the West Coast, bar none maybe in the country, New York and, and, and Oregon, Portland, uh, excellent, excellent food, all sorts of great restaurants. It was really a delight to go there. Mrs. W and I, on our honeymoon, we had an annual um, deal that we have always done up in Northwest Portland. There was a, there's a vintage uh, old hotel that was restored there. It's beautiful. And we would, on our honeymoon, we would just book a room, have dinner, spend the night in the hotel, get a babysitter for Jack, and we'd done that for years. Just look forward to it. But I remember we would walk around the city and, and no problem whatsoever. Well, we quit doing that about probably five or six years ago. We had got the same hotel that we always had, and on our way back from a restaurant, which was about maybe eight, nine blocks from, from the restaurant back to the hotel, and this was probably about 9 o'clock, 9.30, maybe, maybe 9.30 at night, a couple of bums uh, stepped out and I had an altercation with them. And one of them approached me and was very aggressive. And I stepped in front of Mrs. W, kind of put her behind me with my left arm. Now I always conceal carry and, and always have. And he was, pan he was asking for money. Hey, hey, you got any money? I'm like, no, no, I don't, don't, I don't have any money. Uh, and he, usually they'll just leave you alone and you walk, along, walk on. Well, he, he started bowing up on me. And I'm working, you know, and now I'm, I'm in a bad situation here. I'm, I'm backing up. I'm keeping Mrs. W behind me on my, my left side, my weak side. I got to keep my, you know, I'm trying to keep my strong side clear. I'm backing up, pushing, pushing, and I'm looking with my peripheral, and his buddy's coming around the street, coming up behind us, you know, but, you know towards Mrs. W, and he's about 20 feet away. I mean, it was, a, it was a hairy situation. I could just feel that it was dangerous. It was very dangerous. I had my hand on the handle, a G19, uh, on a, at a holster, inside the waistband holster, on it, and drawing, com coming out. When I started to draw, his buddy saw what, my, what was on my hand because of the street light or something and immediately changed direction, called to him, said something, I don't remember what, and they, they both they vacated and, and left. And I grabbed her, we crossed the road, back up to the hotel, and that was it. That was the last time, that was the last time we ever went up there to celebrate our anniversary at that hotel and, and we'll never, never, never go back unless a miracle happens, something changes. That was a scary, uh, bad situation. I've had a couple of those in Portland. Uh, just last year, I was on Broadway heading up westbound. And a crazy dude with a bat comes out and starts ranting and attacking cars. I had to actually, he came after me. as in my truck. I had to pull up on the sidewalk, drive on the sidewalk and go around to avoid him. He was out there smashing cars and just going, I mean, it's, it's just terrible. It's terrible. So we were pulling in there with Jack last week and 
there's a massive fire, like just huge black smoke. It's so toxic from the trash burning around there and dumpster fires burning and garbage being thrown over the freeways and burning tarps that our eyes were literally, my eyes were burning inside of my truck just from the fumes of being in the city. <laughs> I was like, you know, this is probably the last time uh, that we come down here. It is absolutely a disaster. Goodness. We have a uh, super chat from Cast Iron Kyle. All, another one. Thank you, Cast Iron Kyle. He writes, God help me believe in me. My small business blew up. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. And you know what, Kyle, if you have a link, I know a lot of folks would be interested in learning about. I hope if you're doing cast iron and you have that knowledge, I hope you're doing content. Um, do a YouTube channel. Do it for love. Throw some stuff up there. Teach people how to find the good ones. What if you were going to have? You know, it's that type of content's really interesting. I would enjoy that. What do you look for at a thrift store? What's the what's good and what's bad? How do you tell if one has been destroyed where you can't season it anymore? How do you season it? Uh, how do you make it nonstick, and what are the benefits of it? You know, just the iron. You know, what are the one of the gentlemen? Goodness, if you if you don't know this, if you are still using Teflon coated cooking pans, you need to stop that immediately. Immediately, where do you you know that Teflon? After a while, they wear out, and pretty soon the eggs are sticking and all that. And you look at it, and the stuff's all flaked off and gone. Where do you think that Teflon is gone? You've eaten it. And it's very, very poisonous and toxic for you. You don't want that anywhere near you. You don't want that. If your cook pans are Teflon, throw them away. Throw them away. Go to the thrift store. Go to Goodwill, whatever, and get cast iron or get stainless steel. But do not cook on that stuff or copper. Anything, that's fine. Also, aluminum. Avoid anything that's aluminum. Yeah, I, another thing, you should know this, but if you don't, Look at your deodorant. The deodorant that you use, the stick deodorant, look at the ingredients. Most of those have aluminum in them. And aluminum, you know what that's tied to, right? A lot of people claim that that might be uh, um, neurological, cause neurolog those light metals, neurological issues. It's very, very bad for you. That goes right in your bloodstream. You know your skin is your biggest organ? Chemicals, man, all that stuff, you got to get it out of your house. Roundup, goodness, are you using Roundup? Do you know the story of Roundup and, and how much problem that's causing? These things are bad, gentlemen. We need to, I, there's a lot of ignorance out there. Just because it's on the store shelf and just because it's being sold and maybe EPA approved, EPA is bought and paid for, man. They, are, they, are not, they don't care about you. They, they are beholden to the manufacturers. Corporations around the world and the government is nothing more. They're puppet masters for the government that just does their will. That's how it works in the U.S., there's a, there's a tier level, you know. We have the spider on the top, right? <laughs> and then we have the corporations, and there's a few in between. We won't get into that. We know who they are. But there's corporations, and then there's the government, and then there's you, the plebs, the hackable cows. We need to take matters into our own, our, our own hands. There are resources out there. Do not cook with Teflon. Get that out of your house. Do not use deodorant with aluminum. Get that out of your house. Find some alternatives. There's a lot out of there. Also... Toothbrushes. You know your toothbrush wears out and gets smaller and smaller and smaller? And now there's all these problems where people are saying, Why? well, you know, we're testing blood now and they're full of plastic. Why is the human body so full of these microplastics? Where is all this stuff coming from? Where do you think the bristles go that wear down these toothbrushes that you're using? You're eating it. Is that good for you? It is not. Should you eat plastic? You should not. 
Think about these things. Open, open up your eyes. Wake up. Know what you're putting on your body. Know what, what, what you're cooking with. Um, you don't have to go spend a bunch of money. You just need to be aware of it and make some changes. <clears throat> we have a super chat from Tyler Borgerding. Shout out to you, Tyler. Good to see you back. And new member. He says, hey, Cody, what is the order of operation for buying emergency preparedness equipment? What should be prioritized and what can wait? Well, goodness, that's a big question. That's a big question. Um, you know, it's going to depend. Where do you live? Do you live in the city or do you live in the country? Do you have a well? Do you have a creek? You know, so obviously the first thing is shelter, right? Got to have a, a safe place to stay. You know, one thing I was talking about, um, we were talking about yesterday, the difficulty that many of you find yourself in because you're living in apartments or in a townhouse or you're in between places. You know, there's, I've lived in apartments a good portion of my life because I, that was the option that I had. I wasn't in a position where I could buy land or a house. So I, I get that. that. That was my life for a long time. But there's no, re there's not, there's no reason why you can't do a few things while you're, while you're doing that. You know, one option that I forgot to mention that is a really good option is a wall tent, an old-fashioned army wall tent. Those things are going to be in a disaster. Can you imagine, did you, did you see the earthquake that took place over, was it in Turkey? Goodness, I couldn't believe it last night. I was, I was um, looking at, I uh, was on my phone last night before bed, I was checking a few things, and some notifications came up, and I started watching some of those videos of those buildings coming down. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. You know, and that is a situation that we could find ourselves in. Volcanoes, hurricanes, natural disasters like that, where your house collapses. You know, what would you do? What option would you have? My grandparents, I'm so fond of telling you, when they had to leave, you know, they found themselves in a very similar situation like that. When they had to leave Oklahoma in the 30s because of the Dust Bowl, because of the way that farming was done and, and the, they tore up the topsoil and there was no vegetation left to hold things in place, when the wind and these big storms came through, they blew all the, the topsoil away and it, and it just devastated that area. Uh, guys couldn't farm anymore, they couldn't make a living, and then many of them, the Okies, they packed up because they, it was just unsustainable. They could no longer make a living. They had to leave their land, packed up, and moved out west because that was the only option they had. It was either that or starve to death. There was no government assistance. There was nothing. You, you, you fixed your own problems back in the day. Well, they found themselves as re basically as refugees, just like we would find ourselves. If you had to flee your home, you would be a refugee. You would have to go to a different location. And this old world is hard. If you don't have family or something prearranged, you know, you're not just going to be able to be allowed to go set up your truck or trailer anywhere and start living. What they did is they took everything that they could carry on their two trucks and they went to Sun Valley because they heard that there was work there. There was timber, there was, um, they could uh, heat, they could log, and my, they started logging. My granddad and his, my great-granddad and his three sons started logging and they brought their whole family, little kids, pregnant wives, women, everything. It was a bunch of them. And you know how they lived for three years in Sun Valley in the snow? They lived in wall tents, canvas wall tent, 12 by 16 canvas wall tents. You know, you can live, you can be very, very comfortable in a canvas wall tent with very, very little. And truth be known, I would much prefer if I had a choice of if I had to spend a winter or two or three, 
away from the home and live out in the woods or live in an environment, I would prefer to live in a wall tent over an RV, hands down. It can be, I've lived, I've, I've stayed and spent the night in canvas wall tents with a wood stove in it and weather is cold as minus 20 and you sit in there with your t-shirt on and have to open the flap up because it's so warm. It, it, it would be a really good option. It would be a good time now to kind of keep an eye open uh, for Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist for those old military tents. Even if you're not going to use it, just have one of those things on hand. Have one of those and either build or buy a small wood stove with a few pieces of four inch chimney pipe um, and that would be a really great option. And go live in it, go try it. You could do that, you could definitely do that. But I just thought, man, what would something like that be worth for those people over there? And they're in winter time, there's snow on the ground and their houses are gone. I mean, what do you do? Can you even imagine the difficulty and the hardship? Unimaginable. But where I would start would, uh, is you really have to make sure you have a place that you can stay warm in. And, and keep locked down, uh, it keeps secure. So I don't know what your environment is. I don't know where you live. Do you live where it's warm, where it's cold? Establish that, you've gotta have a, a water supply, a good water supply. Where you start with with that is cans. Even if you don't have um, a, a, anything figured out or how to harvest or a well dug like that, have cans, have six five gallon cans, uh, plastic cans that you can tote water in. I mean, can you just imagine, this is, going to be the, this is going to be the case. Let's say that there is a, a hurricane, a volcano, or a major 7.9, 8.1 on the Richter scale earthquake where everything's decimated. The water system is offline. The power's offline. Well, here comes FEMA, or here comes the government agencies, the National Guard, and they pull up a great big truck that's a couple miles, you know, two or three miles away of potable water. If you haven't taken the necessity uh, or the made pre-planned to have containers to carry that stuff, how many trips are you going to have to make back and forth? What are you going to do? Carry it in pots and pans? You're going to carry it in a plastic bag? When we saw, I saw during those gas shortages, I saw people filling up gas in the back of their truck with in plastic bags. <laughs> I think you probably saw those videos as well. So be thinking about that. How you can take advantage of that? How how you can get water and, and store it a little bit. I mean, you can carry that if you have to. You can pull a closet pole out of your closet, fashion a yoke, put it on your shoulders, put a five gallon here, five gallon there. You can carry 10 gallons of water pretty effectively. And if you have your wife, you know, she can do it as well. You could haul 20 and you can walk two or three miles and do that. So just having those cans available to take advantage of a creek or a river, what have you, is gonna be critical, critical. So have those cans. Don't fill them because they'll freeze. Fill them up if things looking bad, but just have them ready so that you can use them. And then do you have a filter? Is that water going to be safe? You know, let's say you find stuff. Let's say you've got to pull stuff out of a river. You know, you've got to filter that stuff. You'll be sick as a dog if you get jardia. You don't want it. It's miserable. Have a good filtration. Uh, good filtration. Have a way to cook. Cook your food. You know, is that what's that going to be? Yeah, it could be just a Coleman camp, camp stove. Get a couple five-gallon propane tanks. You probably already got a gas grill. You've already got one or two. Make sure you have the adapter. Have the adapt. You can buy an adapter on Amazon for about twenty bucks that will adapt to the little small bottle deal, so that you can run off of these big tanks. So have a fuel supply. That's also going to be you'll be able to heat a house or heat a tent with that. How are you going to cook your food? How are you going to haul water? How are you going to purify water? That sort of thing. Have a capable vehicle. Do you have fuel? for this vehicle. Not only should you have six water cans, five gallon water cans, 
every one of you should have six five-gallon jerry cans. The best value, or five, five or six. The best value on those are the race cans. You can get for about 100 bucks, you can get five of those on Amazon, 112, maybe 120. Just the, the square ones. They, they're good cans. They last forever. I've got some up here I've had for almost 20 years. They're easy to transport. They don't tip over in the back of a truck. You know, and have those on hand and keep them full. You know, if you wake up, the earthquake wakes you up and now the power's off and you didn't, decided you didn't fill up your car and you've, you're sitting on empty, you don't have any options. You're not going to get fuel. Your neighbors are not going to give you fuel. What if you need your generator to run? So just think about these things. Just have a week supply, seven to ten days of everything you're going to need to hunker down and survive. But think about those things. It's really what it comes down to. You know, we overcomplicate life. When you strip away all of the obligations and the commitments and all of the as busy as we've made our life and as complicated as we've made it, when you find yourself where you're fighting for your life in a natural disaster, none of that stuff matters anymore. The only thing that matters is keeping your kids and your wife warm, having a clean, reliable supply of water, and, and, and something to eat. I mean, it really, that, that's it. That nothing else really matters, and that's where you need to focus. Whatever it takes you to have that for a week completely independent. And turn off the breaker. If you want to test your system for a weekend, it'll be fun. Get your kids all involved. Say we're going to do it for 24 hours, or if you really want to go hardcore, do it for 48 hours, turn that breaker off. Turn the breaker off on your house. Turn off the water. Go, go outside, turn off the water valve, and then uh, and live. And you will, all of your preparations will be tested, and all of your holes and weaknesses will be, uh, they will become, they will bubble right to the top, I promise you. That's a really, really good test. Um, you may think you have everything sewed down, but when you start going through everything, you realize, oh, my propane tanks are empty. Oh, I don't even have matches. I don't even have, hey, we're sitting in the dark. Or I can't use my flashlight because I have to save it because I didn't get any extra batteries. You know, all that stuff will, will, will sort itself out. There was a thing, so the early trappers back that were discovering the northern areas up there, the Hudson Bay Company. You remember that? So up in the Hudson Bay Company was basically a fort. And when um, men from all over the world were coming there to, to make their fortunes in either prospecting or uh, timber, or a lot of them were up there trapping because the, the fur market was so valuable. So what they would do is they would go up to the fort, the Hudson Bay, and they would uh, go through the shop and they say, okay, I'm going to need a tent and I'm going to need, uh, you know, this for my donkey, and I'm going to need some blankets, and I'm going to need some, uh, a musket, you know, whatever, all the things that they thought they needed, you know, and you look at it, and we think we have the best plan. You know, we've watched all the YouTube videos. We've watched all Cody's videos. You know, we, we've got this stuff all together. We're going to be in good shape. We, we're, we're sure of it, right? Well, they did something called a Hudson Bay Start. Once they had everything figured out where they, they thought, yep, this is everything we, we need to survive for six months or a year, what they would do is they would go north one day's journey, one full day walk, and they would set up camp, and they would spend 24 hours in that environment. And they would very quickly realize everything that they had thought or, or overlooked or had forgotten because there was no one there to help them. It was called a Hudson Bay Start, and that was the way that a man would figure out what he was going to need. Then they would come back get the things that they needed, buy, sell, trade, get, get things that didn't work. Then they were in a good position to go on, and they would go and, and do what they did. It was, it's a really great way to do it. Men have done that for, forever in the past, 
and you should do it as well. Even if you have a house and you think you're all prepped, do that. And that will expose, it have the whole family involved. That will expose your weaknesses, for sure. And it's fun. Make it fun. Make it fun for your kids. We have a super chat from our friend Brian M. And one year member. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. It was very generous of you. Uh, Brian says, just thought every pro whore, even just ho, should have their CPR certification. Better to have advanced skills too. Don't rely on others to help if need. Uh, don't be afraid to be a helper. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. That's a free program in the States. If you go, I don't know who you would contact. Maybe contact the Red Cross and they should have on their website, they should have uh, in your area where you can go and take that. You can usually take it in the evening and it's very good. Even if you think you know, you know, some things have changed. You know, we don't do mouth to mouth anymore for obvious reasons. You know, people are not as clean as they once were. And there are some things that have changed, some new philosophies on that that you may not be aware of. But also it just gets your mindset in the right place. It gets you, you're, you can freeze in an environment like that if you're not haven't like mentally prepared. Um, and just being around it, talking about it, working on the dummy, what you'll find is just that one little class in, that you do that when you walk into a room and someone is not breathing and in full cardiac arrest on the ground, rather than just being shocked and running around like a chicken with your head cut off and, and, and wasting time, you'll, you'll, you'll move right in and you'll just start doing the work. It, it, it matters. I think that's, that's really good advice, Brian. Thank you for sharing that. Mr. Dr. Pepper, welcome. Good to see you here. He says, West Coast man's needs prep for earthquake volcano. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And tell me, that watching that, earthquake, that whole earthquake thing, um, boy, that snapped that into, um, into focus for me for sure. Uh, we live in the ring of fire. <laughs> we have just to the west. I mean, it happened in my lifetime. I remember it as clear as a bell. May 18th, 1980, um, Mount St. Helens blew up. I watched it happen. I remember watching it take place um, when I was, I was probably what, 11 years old. Yeah, 11 years old when, when that happened and devastating. I've actually been up there. I, I, I did a hike a few years where I went, I walked two days. I walked all the way around it, that whole volcano, and it was incredible to see up close. The devastation and power of that thing, unimaginable. There, was in, there were incredible mysteries that I came across there that I will never to this day understand. I came upon this one place. It was called the Plain, they called it the Plains of Abraham. And I would have thought that I was on Mars. It was unbelievable. You wouldn't, like, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you're, you're in the forest. You're used to being in forest. Heavy dug firs, western red cedars, ponderosas, mountains, streams, all these things. This mountain blew up and scrubbed the area down to mineral soil. Not even grass grows there. Unbelievable. And just little rocks like loaves of bread. I would imagine it did look probably very similar to the place where Jesus was tempted with the three temptations when the, when the adversary came up to him and said, are you hungry? Why don't you turn that rock there into a loaf of bread? That was the first thing I thought of when I saw that. It was unbelievable. Then I picked my way through that. I was backpacking and walked through that, dropped down into a ravine, crossed in, down into a, a low spot where it was untouched, just right next to it, like a division drawn right between everything being scrubbed off to mineral soil, to old growth, 800-year-old Douglas fir trees and cedars growing perfectly, uh, un, just not touched. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, but I, I'm aware of that. I was thinking last night when I was watching those, watching those buildings come down um, 
on that earthquake there, you know, what would I do? If my whole house was rubble and fell down to the ground, you know, what would I do? And I, I thought, well, I'd be, I'd be living in a wall tent. That's exactly what I would do. I would be living in a wall tent. I would set it up next to my wood source and I'd move my family in there and I'd put my wood stove in there and set up a little makeshift kitchen and we'd be down by the river. We'd have an unlimited supply of water and uh, we would start our rebuilding living in a tent. Um, that's exactly what I do. A wall tent is where it's at, gentlemen. It would be a good thing to have if you have any discretionary income to have one of those on hand with a wood stove. You could set that up in your yard if you had to. You could take in a refugee. If you had family members or friends, loved ones, that, that children that didn't have a place or their lives were turned upside down, you know, that's an option. It, it's, it's an option. It was an option for my grandparents. They lived three years through three winters in Sun Valley. And that was back in the day where, think, where weather was much harsher, where it was much colder than it is now. If they could do it, then you can do it. It might be the best thing for us, to be honest with you, to have a little bit of adversity, to have some hardships. I know for me that the more easy my life is, the more uh, comfortable things are, the more I, the lazier I become and, and the less happy I become. And, and the more you start, instead of, you know, when your life is so comfortable and so good that you don't have any problems, you start inventing problems. Have you noticed this? You start making things up. And you start, oh, you know, maybe I, am, maybe I have depression. You know, maybe I have a mental illness on that. I, you know, I, sh I assure you, when you're grinding and you're fighting for your life and you have a purpose, and you, you're not going to have time for any of that nonsense. You, you're going to be too busy, <laughs> too busy existing. One of the most fascinating documentaries I've ever I've ever come across, and I looked into this, I read a few books on this, it was, it was such an interesting phenomenon. And if you ask, a lot of soldiers will say the same thing. But it was, um, I think it was during uh, Kosovo, that, that conflict, uh, Bosnia-Kosovo, that, that all of that took place, that genocide. And they, uh, after that was over, they interviewed um, several people, you know, years later that had been involved in that. And one, the one that really struck out, stuck out to me was they interviewed a man that was driving, he was a cab driver, he was probably in his late 50s or so. But in that conflict, he played an important role in that he was, he was in the resistance. He and his wife would, would deliver messages um, and it was very dangerous. They would have to go out at night. Uh, I think they even were delivering food and, and, and everything. And they were in a situation where this small group of people, had they been caught, they would have been immediately executed. And each time they went out, they never knew if they were going to come back. It was, it, I mean, when you heard, heard them describe it and talk about it, it was a deplorable and frightening situation. Yet they did it over and over again, just like the French uh, the French resistance during World War II when they were occupied by Germany. Same type of thing. And you would think that after that harrowing experience of, of just living by the, in the moment, like just minute by minute, never knowing if someone was going to knock on the door and drag you and your family out and execute you in the street, you think you would be glad to be free of that and live in peace and harmony and comfort, right? When they interviewed this man after he had survived it, and was living quite poor. Uh, I mean, just driving cab and just, just getting by. He said, I would give anything to be back there. I hate 
this comfortable life. I have nothing to live for. Nothing I do matters. I drive this cab. I'm just sitting in here eight, ten hours a day dying, living in this crappy apartment. I have, uh, I mean, I'm not, there's nothing I have to really work for. I'm not, you know, I, I have the things I need, but I'm just numb. You know, back when I was involved in, in the underground, back when I was in, in the resistance, we lived life. You know, everything was, in, was just in, it was so sharp and, and so real. And I, we loved one another and our friendships meant everything. And when you embrace someone, when they were going out to do something dangerous, you meant it. Like you just, it, it, your emotions and your passions and your feeling were everything. You were just, you were living life to the fullest because you knew that every day may be your last. And here I am now in this comfortable job where I'm not in danger. My children have enough to eat, but I'm just existing. He goes, I would go back there in a heartbeat. I would give all of this up to go back there and to live again. You know, and that is very interesting when you hear that. Our comfort makes us complacent and lazy, and we need adversity. I think you're probably like me where you have become so comfortable that you start to create your own adversity. These adventures of the dirt biking and the snow biking and putting ourselves in difficult situations, racing, motorcycles, whatever, we all have our things, you know, adrenaline junkies, things that we do, are a, a, a cry, <laughs> a scream for, uh, of rebellion against this, this lethargic, boring, comfortable, lackluster life. It's so easy that we have to go out and create adversity just to know that we're alive. I mean, that, that's where we're at now. That's why the cold shower, that's where that comes into. I'm finally putting all this together. It is, it's a very small thing, but it's, it is, it's that little spark, that little thing that goes against everything that tells your body's telling you it should be doing. I'm cold, cover up, cover up. Oh, I don't have enough clothes on. Throw another blanket on. Of course, I need to be warm and comfortable and complacent. Man, that is, that is the, that's the recipe that lulls you into death. No, no, you don't take all that off. You need to be cold. You need that adversity. You need to get up first thing in the morning and jump in there and tackle and defeat that cold water. Defeat the body's need to be comfortable. And that sets the tone for your whole day. It really does. And, and I don't, I'm not saying that we need to go out and punish ourselves or wear a hair shirt all day. But we do need to, we do, we do need to push back against being too comfortable. Um, and, that's, and that also is true with spirituality. You go to your big mega church, you get a, la a nice latte right there in the lobby as you go in. You're entertained by all this wonderful music and the show and all this thing, and you think that this is religion. This is an ether that's being poured out on Christianity to lull it into death. The gospel is spread by the blood of the prophets or the blood of the, of the pilgrims, whatever, I forget. What that means is that in, a, in that adversity, that's where we thrive. That's where we really achieve the best. You know, it's no coincidence, or it's no mystery, the reason why most industry and innovation and technological advancements have come out of colder climates. Because men were forced to battle against their environment, because if they didn't, they had to. It was either work or freeze to death. And if, if, if you if fear or the fear of dying or freezing to death is a powerful motivator. You are very motivated to change your situation, to build homes, to invent 
central heating, uh, you know, whatever that may be, uh, to, to, to make your environment livable and better. Whereas if you're down by the equator and it's perfectly warm and you don't really have to, have to worry about those things and you can lay around and maybe put a little sunshade up there, there is not a lot of motivation to, to innovate or to do anything. It's pretty easy to live. You're comfortable. Um, why rock the boat? Yeah, you see where I'm going? So that adversity, we need to have that back in our life. And that's the only thing that's going to really move the church. The Western church and all of these religions and these churches and all of that with the coffee bars and the entertainment and the, and the padded seats and all of that, man, that's got to be an offense to God. We're just playing. We're, abs- we're just playing and deceiving ourselves. We need adversity. And God knows that. The only way I think that he's ever going to be able to move the church forward and really his work will be done is when we start getting pitched, when we start, when we start be, becoming persecuted. That's when we're going to wake up and that's when we're really going to take it seriously. It's, it's very important. So don't be surprised and also count the costs. If you are thinking that you want to be in the army of God, that you want to not be a bystander and don't want to be left behind and want to participate in the bringing in of the kingdom, understand what you're going to have to look forward to. You may lose everything. You may lose your job and probably will. You probably lose your family or a good portion of them. Everything that you've known, all of your comforts, because God knows until we're stripped of those things, we can't be effective. We'll just, we're just too comfortable and lazy, and we'll, we'll just won't, won't do it. So enjoy it now, gentlemen. Enjoy it now. We have a super chat from McFadden Farms and new member. Welcome. welcome. Shout out to you, McFadden. He says, just pur- purchased a Mossberg 590A1. Now that was a good choice. That's the official Marine Corps uh, freedom dispenser, if I'm not wrong. Maybe Overton could cor- correct me on that. Uh, what's your favorite home defense freedom dispenser? Uh, Mark 18 is my favorite. My one-two punch is the Mark 18 with a law folding stock, with that, that's a 10-3 barrel, and that stock folds up so small, it actually fits in my dresser drawer. I have, a, I have a little, my nightstand has three drawers in it, a shallow one on the top and then two deeper down. Open that up, sits right in there. 50-round drum and a 19X uh, in the top drawer. That's, that's my one-two punch with lights on everything. Everything should have a light on it, whatever it is. But my number three, <clears throat> my number three, is locked up in a combination lockbox is a um, 870 Remington with um, a combination of double-op buck and slugs. And that's the old, that's a police model, three-inch Magnum police model, um, pre-freedom group, pre-freedom group. Remington is not what it used to be. So if you want to buy a good Remington, you need to get it before it was sold out to... um, um, a group that basically farmed it for its name. They're not producing what they used to produce. But the old police 870s, those were good. Those are the two right there. You've got the Mossberg that you purchased or the 870 are, if you want, just good, reliable, proven shotgun for the, for the money. I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with that. I bought two of them. I bought them on GunBroker. There was a whole... There was a police force. Uh, my neighbor, my buddy, and my neighbor Brian, he follows Gunbroker pretty close. And someone bought a whole pallet of these walnut stocked 870s with the Surefire, uh, even though it's halogen, it's still good, with the Surefire foregrip on it. 
and they were the, the, the good ones, the old ones. They weren't hardly used, and they were, um, they were, several of them were non-lethal, so they had yellow stocks painted on over the walnut. So we both bought two of those, and I kept one non-lethal and one lethal. So I put one rubber, rubber, rubber uh, 20, the 21, 32 ounce, 32 caliber, 21 count rubber buckshot. I have that. The stock is painted yellow, bright yellow, so there's no way to mistake it. And then I have the 870. Those are two in there. So those are my four. That's what I have within reach of the bedroom. But the, the Mark 18 with the 50-round drum on it, that's pretty good. That's what I grab. <clears throat> Shout out to you. That's a good choice on that Mossberg, though. Goodness, I wish I had one of those. I, I would like to have one. I, you know, I, I'm not... A, I, so a few years ago... I, when I started getting serious about home defense, I, I had a, I had a real mosaic of, of different, lots of different things, you know, like weird stuff, like had some SIGs and I had some Berettas and, you know, all this mix match stuff and, and a bazillion different holsters and all that. I decided to get rid of all that stuff. I kept the family hunting rifles, obviously, granddad's 30-06 and the 300 Winchesters and the and the seven millimeter Remingtons and all, of course I keep all that stuff. But I got rid of all that other stuff, all of the off-brand stuff, and I just went consistent with everything. I only own, if it's an eight, if it's a shotgun, it's a Remington, pre-freedom group, Remington 870. So whether that be hunting, birds, ge geese, you know, I have different barrel length, but all that's interchangeable. I can pull Parts out, I can change all that stuff if one breaks or a bend a barrel, whatever. It's all the same. I can fix. I've got basically got parts, right? So I decided what I'm going to keep in my arsenal is 870s. Nothing other than 870s. And I'm not saying that's the only brand. That's just what I decided on. I'm a Remington guy. 700, 700 um, actions. So all hunting rifles, everything is either uh, a long or short action in a 700. You know, varying calibers and all that. All that's the same. You can pull bolts out, trigger groups, stocks, all that thing, all the same. Scope rings. So for hunting rifle, all that precision rifle, even my, even my tactical rifle I built is based on that 700 action, 700 short action. So 700 Remington, 870 Remington, 22 is the Ruger, Ruger 1022. Also the little pistol, the little Mark series pistols. That, that's, that's everything across the board is that. It's all the same. And then um, as far as ARs, I just settled in on Daniel Defense. I have Daniel Defense and Colt. That's the only two brands uh, that I'll, I'll buy. I, I would, would have stuck with Colt, but they're more difficult to get now, and the quality is not there what it used to be. So I have one, some of the older stuff that was as good as it gets. But from now on, this point forward, I just buy DD, just Daniel Defense. That's, that's what I've settled on. And that, that basically sums it up. We have a super chat from Christopher Berg. Shout out to you, Christopher. And Christopher writes, what are your suggestions to contact YouTube so us premium members can sort out these shorts because my feed is all shorts? You know, I wish there was, man. There, good luck. You're, you're not going to get a contact. E even those of us that have, I've been down there, I think, four times. I've met people. It, you'd be surprised. People move through. They change jobs there all the time. Like, it, I used to try to, so we get, <clears throat> you can get to a certain point and they'll, they'll assign you kind of a contact there, right? 
that you can call or, e or email if you have a problem. Well, that has been nice in the past, and, and we have utilized that a few times, but what I've found is that this contact, this is kind of an entry-level position, and they don't have any sway, and you can, if you're having a problem, they'll say, well, I'll run it up the line, and it, I mean, it might get you one step closer, but just the moment you start building a little bit of rapport or relationship with this person, then they're, they've moved on to some, somewhere else and, and someone else is new there and they don't know who you are. So I kind of just gave up on the whole, it's pointless. It's pointless. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care. Shorts are, shorts are what they want. I, I was proving that to me yesterday. I put up that water filter video. That was one of the first long form content I put up for a while and it just flopped absolutely did nothing not being promoted no one looking at it no one seeing it and i just can't get into making content that people are not going to watch i don't mind i mean if it's bad i'll own it right but when you do it time and time again and you know that this should be good and this is this is stuff that people would enjoy and no one sees it and everyone tells you it's not even in my feed i'm not going to do it so this is the game we have to play it's just the way that it is i think that TikTok, its popularity with young people and uh, YouTube realized that if they didn't get on board with that, they were going to be sucking hind tit, uh, and they were going to need to uh, attract that younger audience, and that's that's what they want. Their attention span is different, so that's just what we're stuck with. The antidote is the live stream. That's it. That that that's something that they do support, that they do encourage, and the reason why they encourage the live stream is they don't have to sell ads on it. We're self we're self supported here. You guys are supporting me directly here, and they're they're not in it. They're they they take a a cut. And they sit back and provide the web hosting, and you know they should get they should get a cut. It costs money to host these videos and to build the platform. I get all that. I, I don't, I'm not opposed to that, but that's why they're pushing it. Is it just kind of pushes the the the, the responsibility, the effort to to fund your channels um, by your own audience, and that's fine. But that's the way it is right now. Um, I, I wish I could help you. They don't even listen. They won't listen to me if I tried to call them. <clears throat> they're certainly not going to listen to you. Spartan 219, welcome back. Good to see you here. Spartan says, sending love, brother. Good to see you and good to be part of this Wrangler Star family. And recommendations for fire pits. I can give you, if you want, if you want the Mac Daddy, my dad, uh, my dad and I built the ultimate fire pit uh, that, that is the, was the coolest one ever. So what you do, if you want it to last, uh, so if you want to do this on a budget, uh, a good fire pit, for a smaller fire pit is go to, uh, go to a, a, a shop that, that works on heavy trucks, dump trucks primarily, big dump trucks, uh, that sort of thing, and go talk to the service guy and ask them if they'll either give you or you can buy a brake drum off of a dump truck. They're about so big, cast iron, thick, heavy. Put your big boy pants on because if you're going to be loading that in the back of your truck, you might even need some help. They're, they're awesome. So you can get that and, and weld it. They've got holes for the lug nuts in them, so it will draft up the bottom a little bit. But if you can take a torch and knock a couple holes in the side, that's even better. But that is a fire pit you will have for the rest of your, your life. Put it on some legs. Get some two-inch water pit pipe or prop it up on some bricks. You don't need to do anything fancy. But that makes an awesome, awesome fire pit. It's pretty deep. It's about so deep, so big around. And it's really good if you have a small area, if like maybe a small garden, if you live in town or in the suburbs. And once that cast iron gets hot, it radiates a lot of heat. It's really nice. I, I had one that made a really good fire pit. But if you want the best of the best, the coolest one we've ever made was 
You know the giant propane tanks, 500 gallon, 1,000 gallon, you've all seen them, the white ones that people have outside their house. Well, if you look at how those are made, they have two caps on the end. They're, they're punched, they're pressed, and there must be a massive press that takes a piece of flat steel and molds that into it, to that shape. It's like a big wok. And then they put them together on the pipe and then they weld up, up, up there and they make those tanks. Well, my dad found out, um, found, called the place that makes those things, look around, you'll find them, and ask if he could buy one. And we bought a big one. It was four foot across. It was huge. Barely fit in the back of the pickup and thick. I'll bet it was quarter inch steel. And it's a perfect bowl. It's beautiful shape. Aesthetically, it's just gorgeous. We brought that thing home, got it out of the back of the truck, flopped it down on the shop floor, and I cut um, three legs, three pieces of Schedule 40 three-inch water pipe. Schedule 40 is thick, thick-walled, heavy-duty, and super strong. Put a little bevels on them and, and basically put three tripod legs on there. Short, not very tall, about, about so like that, and then a cut flat on the bottom and put uh, little flat plates so it would sit because we put it on a uh, we put it on a mason on, on bricks on pavers and I, I didn't want it to I wanted it to be finished off and not break up the bricks distribute that weight three legs is best because three legs will never wobble three legs are, are, are good because if you have any sort of an uneven surface if you have a four-legged table well you know you've been to restaurants you know wobble 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 all that but if you want something to never wobble that's why you do the three legs so do you do three legs like that Weld those guys on there, you will have an awesome, awesome fire pit. Make sure you drill a few holes in the bottom around the perimeter or it fills up with water. But that's the best fire pit. But the budget version <coughs> is a dump truck, um, dump truck brake, <coughs> brake drum. We have a super chat from Zephan Chapel Elliott. Shout out to you and new member, welcome. Welcome. It's good to have you here. He writes, my family is from Canada. The politics are getting pretty intense up here. What are your thoughts on Canada? Man, I, I love our Canadian friends. Uh, don't get me wrong, but man, you guys are, you guys are screwed. When, they, when, when Trudeau is actively trying to confiscate and prevent you, you from having hunting rifles, then the writing is on the wall. I'm starting to see, you know, I watch, I watch a lot of... Um, I watch a lot of online content and I see a lot of people uploading stuff, your countrymen from Canada. And it's in, this is just my impression as, as um, the head of, of America's hat. This is my impression, but it seems to me that people are getting a, a belly full, especially on the, on the Western side of the provinces. So it's kind of, I, it, again, I'm talking, I'm talking about things I don't understand here. So do, do give me some grace. But it seems to me that you have the same problem that many of us Western states have, where we have a very liberal central government that is making crazy legislation and policies and rules and edicts uh, that uh, are not that the that the folks that live in the rural areas are not down with, and they're starting to push back. Even talking about separating, changing border lines and such. I mean, this this is a conversation that's coming up. Will it ever come to fruition? I don't know, but it seems Canada's experiencing that as well. I can imagine how galling it must be to be, let's say that you're a, an outdoorsman, that you're living in on the, you know, BC, uh, that area there, and you've got what's going on in Quebec, 
Uh, it's got to be maddening. You, you, you guys are just worlds apart. You don't, you don't, don't share the same values, and it's got to be frustrating to have these edicts becoming on, uh, coming, putting upon you. There's a lot of people that are unhappy with this up there, and they're posting a lot on social media, and that's just what I see. But I don't know. I mean, you're, you're at a crossroads right now. If you don't get a hold of this, it's going to overwhelm you, and, and you'll lose it. You'll lose the whole country, and you'll basically be turned into what, what the U.K. is right now. You know, and the U.K. is completely cucked. You can't spell cuck without the U.K., unfortunately. As much of an Anglophile as I am, as much as I love our, our U.K. brothers, you guys have abdicated, and you are, you're, you're screwed. You're at the will of tyrants, and there's nothing you can do about it because you let your firearms go. That's the only saving grace that America has, and the world leaders and the people that, the, the evil that are working against us, they know it. They know it. We have a super chat from the Acts, from Acts of Random Kindness. Shout out to you and welcome. Welcome. Acts writes, this is why I believe fasting is good discipline. Yeah, that's a perfect example. And there's a lot of precedence from that. That, you know, our, our, our Christ, Jesus did and, and taught that, the importance of that. To be able to, how does Paul put it? To, uh, how does he put it that you need to um, punish, punish the flesh? That's not the right word. Not, or even crucify the flesh, that you need to, you basically you need to, bring ad, you need to bring adversity into your life to be spiritually strong. He's talking about the same thing. That's a very good point you bring up, that being comfortable and being fed all the time and never being hungry, never worrying about where your next meal is going to come from, that lulls you into a sense of complacency. And the fasting, the deliberate fasting is very, that's something, you know, that's something that I need to bring back. I used to do that. I think that's something we need. I think Proho needs to make that. I, I need to make an edict here. I think Proho needs to set one day aside for either a 12 or 24 hour fast. What would you guys think about that? Now, of course, this is based, make sure if you have any health conditions, I have to say these things, health conditions, you know, consult your doctor, obviously. But if you are healthy and such, I think that that might be something that we should do. Because not only are there tremendous health benefits, and that's being proven out in science, already has now, but it is a way for you to really get focused on what's important and help you to be thankful and, and put a little bit of strain on your body and a little adversity. When you strain your body, when you strain your mind and your intellect, that's where it grows. That's how you, you, you become better. You become closer to God by fasting as well. I think that's a great idea. How many of you, give me sevens in the chat right now. How many of you would be on board for either a 12, a weekly 12 or 24 hour fast? Would you, would you join me in this? It would be an interesting thing to do for 30 days and revisit that to see and talk together how that, what type of a benefit that we experience from that. That's, we, we're on safe grounds. I mean, that's, that's, that's a biblically sound um, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm glad you brought that up. That's something I had, that I need to start doing, I think. Yeah, we have John. John would join us. Dr. Pepper, he's in. That's two. And Keith, and Jack, and Luke, and Jeff. Yeah, Skyler. Shout out to Skyler. Skyler and Overton have been putting in, and well, I, I'm, I don't know who wants to be. I hate to 
use names or anything, but Skyler and Overton have been putting a lot of work in behind the scenes as well as others. So shout, shout out to you guys. Yeah, I think we'll do that. I'll, here's what I'll do. I'll get with the middlemen tonight. The middlemen are my, is my brain trust, um, my uh, counselors behind the scenes, 11 men. With me, it makes 12. I like that number. It's perfect. Now, our Lord gave us an example of how things should be done. He had a three and a half year ministry. His, many of the deeds that he performed are recorded uh, in the four Gospels as a record for us on how things are done. And we need not reinvent the wheel. If he did things a certain way, then there's, there's a reason for it. Even if we don't understand it, um, we don't have to understand it. Uh, we don't have to understand everything, but we just need to move forward in faith. And when I was thinking, and, and these good men stepped up to help, I was thinking of how many, and, and Luke and I were kind of talking back and forth, and six or seven, and I thought, I don't, you know, just kind of happened. I thought, well, 12 would be a good number because, because our Lord had 12 disciples, right? But I'm glad we have only 11 and I make 12. That way, we're all the same. We're all sitting at a round table, right? We don't, our leader is, is, up, is in the kingdom, right? He's the, he's, the, he's the 13th man, right? And us 12, we're all equal at, a, at equal footing here. And uh, I've enjoyed, enjoyed having that counsel. But I will get with the middlemen. And we will um, we'll pick a day, and we'll, uh, we'll promote that, and we'll do that, and we'll be doing it with you. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I'm going to make that happen. Thank you, Acts of Random Kindness. Thank you for that suggestion. I really, really like that. We have a super chat from Mr. Evan Roach and new member. Shout out to you. Welcome, Evan. Evan writes, USMC uses the Benali M4 Beauty in Action. Oh, I'll tell you, that is a beautiful, beautiful rifle. Yes, I, I, I think I did know that. They used to use the Mossberg. That was probably Vietnam-era stuff. But the Benali M4, yeah, it is beautiful. I would, uh, I do not need another hobby. I do not need, if I even go and look at those things, I've even stepped away from going to the website because I know I could get sucked into that. I'd have to sell my H70s to get those Benellis, but I... We have more important work to do. I, I have, I've, I've bought what I've bought. I have what I have, and um, I, I'm just going to go with it. Oh, Benelli M4, yeah. Maybe one will fall off a truck around here one of these days when my ship comes in. We have a brand new member, Mr. Joseph Quarter. Shout out to you. Shout out to you. Welcome, welcome. Good to have you here. And a super chat from Complete Money. Welcome. Thank you for your generosity. Complete writes, uh, love your stuff and appreciate all your videos and view on life. However, what advice would you give to me as I'm about to turn 30 this year? Time is flying, and I never realized that's, that's so much until not now. Yeah, that 30-year-old mark, man, that, that has a way of kicking you in the head, doesn't it? I remember turning 30, and uh, it seemed that life kind of changed after that. Man, I don't know. <laughs> Well, the world was a different place when I was 30. I was still in the matrix, you know, still, you know, doing all the things that my dad did and, his, you know, that school and everyone told me that I was supposed to do where I'd find happiness and um, it was not to be found. You know, I guess the most important thing for me now, being 53, that what I consciously, I, what I consciously make an effort at doing is being 
being in the moment and not thinking too much, not overthinking things. I don't know. I, I just can't give you advice on what plans you should do. I don't know where you live. I don't know your skill set. I don't know your passions. Without sitting down and, and visiting and talking, I couldn't be of any value to you. I can just give you big picture and what's important to me now after grinding for 20 years from 30 to 50 and not finding, you know, not finding happiness in that. Yeah, successes, financial successes, homes, that sort of thing, family and such are all important. But as far as where is true peace, happiness and contentment, for me at this point right now, it is living in the moment, being in the moment and enjoying my life, enjoying the food that I'm eating, um, enjoying um, time with my wife, enjoying my, that my daughter's five years old, um, spending less time worrying about things I can't control, checking out from politics. I don't watch TV anymore. I don't watch anything from Hollywood, no movies anymore. I don't watch um, mainstream media, I any of that. I've cut all that off my life. I still want to be stay up on current events, but I stay, I stay up on current events by following people. If I'm interested in what's going on in, the, with the, in Turkey with the earthquake, I'm not turning on Fox News or CNN. I'm not, I'm not interested in their lies and, their, and their, the way they curate the news. I'm going to the source. You know, you're going to TikTok. You're going to YouTube Shorts. You're going to Twitter. You're, you're actually watching people's cell phone cameras that are real there. You're, you're seeing people searching for, you know, you're seeing the real thing. You know, so I think it's, I, I want to stay up on current events. I don't want to be a mushroom and be completely in the dark. But I also don't want it to consume me and to be stewing about it all the time. So the advice that I would give you is just be very deliberate in life. Enjoy your children when you have them. They're, they're only little for once. When the five -year -old, little five-year-old girls are, are, are a treasure, a gift from God, and they don't stay that way for very long. So enjoy that. There will always be emails. There will always be work to do. Just enjoy your food. Be happy. Understand with all of this, no matter what your condition is, whether you're rich or poor or unemployed or employed, Remember that all of this stuff is temporary. And the things in life that are such seem like they're such disasters and that are causing you so much grief and aggravation, you can know that in 30 days, 60 days, may maybe a year, that you'll look back on it and it, it will not seem to carry that much weight. And you'll, look, you'll think, oh, I don't know why I got so wrapped around the axle about that. It really wasn't that big a deal. Why did it make me so mad? You know, why did I spend so much time grinding and stewing about this when here we are six weeks later and I, it's, not, it's a non-issue. Just understand that, don't, as my granddad used to say, he was, what, he was the most chill, laid-back dude I ever came across, completely unflappable. Nothing ever rattled him. And he said the same thing all the time. Whenever something bad happened, tire blew out, we got stuck in the mud up elk hunting, uh, we missed a big bull elk and whatever. He would say the same thing. He's like, well, don't sweat the small stuff. He, must, he said that all the time. Don't sweat the small stuff. So that's the advice I would give you that my granddad gave, you is, gave me is uh, enjoy life. Don't sweat the small stuff. And the, underlying, or the, or the overarching understanding or concept that you need to remember is that this is a temporary home for us. The reason why life is so hard and the human condition is so difficult is that we are living in occupied territory. We are living 
on a prison planet where the adversary of God is running things around here and has a lot of confederates working for him that are working against us. And, and if you're connected to God, you'll start to feel that. Many of you have, will feel like I've always felt, like I've never belonged here. I exist in this world and I've had to work alongside with these people, but I've never been a part of it. I've always had to, be, had to do this, but never wanted to do it. And there's been happiness. There's been good times and will continue to be, but there's been sorrow and hardships as well. And it seems to be more sorrow than, than there is happiness. And if this was all that there is, um, I would have eaten a gun a long time ago. Uh, if, I, if I thought that this, this was all there, there was, I mean, there would have been, I, would ne I wouldn't be here. There'd be no point of it. But even though I, I, I walked, I was, didn't know God as I do now growing up and definitely turned my back on him for two, you know, the two decades or so after I'd left my family, I always knew that he existed. And I always knew that, that I, always, I always knew he was there. And that made a difference to me because there was always that, little bit of hope that, you know, maybe I can get my life straightened out. You know, may, maybe, maybe, if, maybe something could happen where I could find my way back to him. And that kind of kept me going. But understanding what I do now is as I realize, okay, this is, this is a short time we have to be here. We are, as I said, we are in occupied, an occupied country. We're behind enemy lines and we need to be very, we need to be wise as serpents. We need to be very smart about it and get through this and, and maintain our connection with God, knowing that what we have to look forward to. This short life, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, will be less than a blink of an eye, less than a heartbeat when you're 10,000 millennium into the, into the future in the kingdom with, 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 in the environment, with back reunited with your father, with your family. And you will, I, I imagine that when I look back in the kingdom, when you look back upon this life and the trials and the struggles and how big these issues seem to be and how monumental that these obstructions were and, and just the misery of life and how many times we feel like just letting go and just quitting and cursing God and, and laying down and dying or even taking our own, that we'll just shudder uh, at the knife's edge that we lived on. How close, how that one decision would have made the difference whether we were in the kingdom, reunited, reconnected in the environment that we were designed to be in. We're going to shudder with all of the doubts that we had and, and how little the sacrifice really was that God was with us the entire time and how many times we just wouldn't accept the help that was there the whole time when we tried to do everything on our own and failed and failed and failed and just got deeper and deeper and deeper in the hole. Just realize, realize, beloved, this is not the life this is not the place that we were created to live in. We have to be here for a short while. We have to occupy and we have to be good soldiers and maintain the faith, trust in our, our leader, trust in our commander that he will see us through because he tells us, Where I, when I go, I prepare a place for you and the things that I prepare for you, I has not seen nor has it even entered into the, into the mind of man the things that I have that I'm preparing for those that love me. So that's the thing. That's what keeps us going. That's what goads us along, knowing that we have to fight and we have to gird up our loins and we have to be men and do the things that we need to do. Um, and it's a short time. It's really a blink of an eye. This lifetime will, will be of no consequence, of no, so no significance when we're in the kingdom.
That's what we have to remember. And we're not here to do it alone either. We have, we have a helper. We have God's Holy Spirit. We have a new member, Thrifty Garage. Shout out to you and welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you here. And goblins are real. Goblins are, they indeed are real. Shout out. Parents are getting a divorce. I've been getting angry and in fights with my girlfriend. I'd appreciate advice on how to get my anger under control. Yeah, I too have, have had an anger problem. I was never able to get it under control. Just when I thought that I, I had it, I had mastery over it, something would happen or push me to my limit, and I would snap um, and just lose, my, just lose my cool. And usually, whoever was around me, loved ones, family members, girlfriends, they, were, they received the blunt of it. Um, and then immediately afterwards, I'm filled with remorse and have to end up having to go and apologize. And it's just that cycle over and over again. I never was able to get mastery over, over it. The only way I was, I'm able to get mastery over that is through, is through Christ, is through di- divine intervention. Of, I took it to him. I took it to him. I take it to him daily. I know that I have, I have a tendency to get really frustrated and, and lash out. And I have unrealistic standards for those around me, for my kids, for my wife, uh, for myself. And when they don't meet those standards, I, I, I tend to, I just feel it, like this rage coming up in me. It's real. I, I get it. I get it. It's that expectation. And, we, and it often is poured out on our loved ones because we have higher expectations upon them than we do upon just a stranger. The only way I've ever been able to get mastery of it is, is through, through prayer and daily prayer. And, and I've been, I, I'll deliver from it. But the moment I slack on that, the moment I get lazy in my prayer time and I don't bring and, and, and go, go to the Father for that help, I'm, back, I'm right back in it. So that's the only thing I can tell you. That's the only way I've been able to get mastery over it. It's a difficult thing. Yeah, goblins are real. Dis- I, I don't know what else to tell you. Thank you. Shout out to you. Good luck. Good luck. It's, that's a difficult thing. We have a super chat from Jeremy Gross, and new member. Welcome. Shout out to you, Jeremy. Jeremy says, I would, it would be great to see you on TimCast IRL. Uh, you would grow, more importantly, the TradCon movement would grow more teeth. We're leaving North Carolina for the Pacific Northwest soon, Montana or greater Idaho. Both are good. Both are good. Montana, I, I really enjoy Montana. Mon- Montana is a little bit too far from the ocean for me and a little bit too close to the Midwest. I don't care for that climate as much. It's drier and fewer mountains, more plains. I don't like the topography as well. Idaho's where it's at for me. Now, I know my friend Overton, he would take issue with that, but both are pretty good. But I I would go visit, go on a road trip or take a plane flight out there, check them out. Um, Now, southern Idaho is pretty horrible. It's a, there's not a lot of topography there. It's flat, dry wheat grassland, a lot of agriculture, uh, extremely cold, windy. It's brutal. It's not very nice. You want to stay up north in the panhandle, up in that area. Is it, that's, where the, that's where God's country is. But shout out to you. Yeah. Tim Cast, IRL. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know what I'd have to offer. To, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would, I'd, I'd do his show. That'd be interesting. How could we get an invitation? We have a brand new member, Jay Harris. One month member. Welcome. Shout out to you. 
Good to have you here. Good to have you here. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to wrap this up. I've got, we've, I've got chainsaws up here. I'm filing chainsaws today. I've got my Lansky stone. It's actually out here. I, I did have time. I was sharpening up one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite hatchets. If you wanted a nice gift for someone, you know, some things are just completely, completely, I wouldn't say useless, but impractical for modern day-to-day -day life, but they just, they speak to you in a certain way or on a, on a high level. This is one of those tools that gives me the double fizz. This is actually the last Grand Force Brooks axe that I purchased. Look at this little beauty. And the best, you know what the best thing about it is? It's got a metal, it's got a factory metal collar on it, an overstrike collar. Look at that. Just like the big boys. You know, they put those metal collars on the big splitting malls and the splitting axes in the event of an overstrike. Let's say this is a round and, and you go overstrike and, and you hit the handle. You know, we've all done that before. Jars your soul. Jars, your, jars the souls of your future children when you do a full swing and hit like that. Oftentimes, more times than not, it'll actually snap the head right off of a good hickory handle. But how cute is that? Overstrike protection on a little tiny hand axe. Man, oh man, I love this little guy. This, if you like to go, if, if you're kind of an outdoors type of guy and you like to set up camp, you like to make, make tent stakes or, uh, or, you know, cut down branches and make pot holders and that sort of thing. Man, oh man, this is, this is the one. You can choke up on it. It's got that, um, it's got that beard, you know, that lower, that beard shape on the bottom. They call that kind of a beard, the bearded pattern that you can nestle up your middle finger in there. And it's the perfect size. You get your index finger right on the blade. So this gives you incredible control for, for carving or whittling or just doing light carpentry work. It's a delightful little tool. It almost has a feel of a kind of a tomahawk. Slight handle. That's, isn't that a beautiful tool? Man, oh man, that's one of my favorites. Completely impractical for, for so much, but it just seems like I always have it around. I just, I really enjoy it. I always grab it. Even when I go cut firewood, I've never used it for firewood, but I bring it along because it, uh, it's, like bringing, it's like bringing your little, your three-year-old son uh, to come and help you, right? <laughs> not, not helping very much, but definitely keeping you company. But that's a good one. That, that'd be a nice gift for, for, uh, for any pro who would be happy to have one of those. And this one. Oh, man, look at this. is the hand axe. This is the smallest. Is that not a thing of beauty right there? Carry some weight, though. It's got some real weight in it. Look how thick the pole is. And that beautiful little handle. Goodness, what a delightful hand axe. This is a good one for, if you want to do, uh, if you like have a small wood stove, uh, especially for camping or, or hunting, and you know, you, you're doing small kindling, man, this is where it's at. Carries enough weight that you can, it'll, it'll carry itself through and split kindling pretty good. It's got enough weight on it, on the pole, that you can, you can put in tent stakes and such. And it's small enough to fit in a, in a, in a backpack, or you can even carry it on your belt. It's a, it's a good one, too. I like this one. Not, again, completely useless, but things that give us the fizz, you don't have to justify them. You just have to like them. But if I was going to have one, the best of the best, without a doubt, right here. Right here is perfect, perfection, gentlemen. You know it. You love it. This is the uh, Grand Forest Brooks. This is the small forest axe. Now I have the large forest axe as well. Well, we'll close with this. I, 
This is my show. I can talk about axes if I like. You guys will indulge me here. So we've, the, the great debate, the great debate has been between these two right here. The small forest axe and what I call, they call it something different, or the large forest axe. Very similar. But an extra four inches on here. This is truly a two-handed functioning axe. If you are going to cut down anything, I would say probably 12 inches. 12 inches is, that's no joke. That's a pretty good size tree. You know, you take a 12 inch, at something 12 inches at the bull, a Douglas fir, you know, that's going to be a, that's going to be a 50, 60 year old tree, right? And it's going to be about 70 feet tall. You know, it's, it's no joke. And there's going to be a lot of firewood in that. And that's a really good size for, for any sort of building, but you can, 12 inches, it gives you, you can get lumber out of that, chainsaw mill, all that, but this truly acts, is truly suitable. You can fell trees of that size. Uh, usually you have to kind of get down, maybe even work on your knees a little bit, but you can get it done. You can do a, a lot of work with this, truly two-handed, but it is not a, ever a one-handed axe. That's the problem. So if you're looking for <clears throat> an around the camp, a truck axe, something that's versatile, I mean, it, it meets, meets so many, it really hits so many good spots, but it's not a hatchet. It, it is definitely an ax. Really good for kids. Excellent boy's ax. And what, we, what I find, you know, my friends that have them, we've talked about this extensively, it's, this is the better. The small forest ax, if you're just gonna have one, is the better one. This is truly, it is on the long side, a little bit on there, but this is truly uh, a one-handed hatchet. You can, it's not so big and heavy that you can't use it one-handed. Um, you can choke up on it. You've got the, the nice beard shape on there, good detail, an excellent, uh, it penetrates deep, look how narrow that is, with a nice wide taper, so it, it does split. It's not, a, it's not a true splitter, but it will get it done. But it, I don't know, man, it's just something about it. It just is right. The handle shape is perfect. The weight is perfect. You can get two hands on it. You can get after stuff. You can chop on stuff. It, is, um, it fits well in a pack. It's portable. It fits. It just There's nothing it won't fit in. This is where it's at right there. The small forest axe. That, that's my favorite. Definitely my favorite. But I do love the big one, too. If you have the means, get both. All right. Oh, we have one last super chat from our friend, Dr. Pepper. Small forest axe for belt sheath while felling. Yep, that's the way I use it. That's, exa that's exactly what I do. I'll show you. I, we'll close with this. I'll show you how I use mine. That always is with me when I'm doing firewood or felling timber. I logged 20 acres of big old growth trees. Not old growth, second growth, but big trees on my off-grid property. And that axe was with me every single day. I pounded every wedge and every one of those trees with it. And if you want perfection, this is how it's done right here. This is a, is a Grizzly Peak Enterprises aluminum axe scabbard. 
made in Idaho by a very nice ge gentleman uh, that is a family-run business, and they make these, each one by hand. And they make all different sizes and shapes. Maybe one of the middlemen could throw up a link. Uh, I, I'm not affiliated with them. I've just been buying from them for years. Grizzly Peak Enterprises, I believe is the name in Idaho. And these are fabulous. Um, they are the perfect combination, perfect, perfect uh, accessory for your small belt axe because the way they fit in there. So why I like this is that this has a belt loop on it and on your falling, your felling belt, I wear it, you know, depending on your, what dominant hand you are, I wear it like on a gunfighter belt right, right here, right off of this right hip. And what it gives me is, a one, is I can one hand grab this when I need it. So I've got both hands that are running my chainsaw, doing all the things you have to do. But there's so many times you, just, you need to pound on something. You need to smack, break off a limb that's in your way. Uh, you might need to chop out your saw, always pounding wedges. It's right there for you. So when you need it, you just reach to the back and pull it out and you have it one-handed and you put it back one-handed really quick. You know, I'll do that a thousand times a day, you know, if you're, if you're felling all day. And that is where it's at. I've never had it fall out or come out. It's um, aluminum. So the, the, the metal is softer than the, the edge on this, so, so it's not going to dull it. Uh, what I do with mine is I line it with heavy leather because it's kind of rattly, even like this. But it's really rattly without the leather on there. The leather just makes, quiets it down, makes it fit a little bit better, and, and that's where it's at. Th this would be a good thing to have if you do firewood and such. It's the best way of carrying it. I mean, are you serious? Like, I've seen dudes that put the scabbard, the leather scabbard on them, and then, like, weave, weave it through the belt. It's, it's hanging over here. And every time you want to use it, you have to put down what you're holding and fuss around over here and take the snap off and unthread it. And then you have to put this thing somewhere. And what you'll do is you'll throw that on the ground and thinking, well, I'll come back and grab that, but you won't find it. So you'll lose it, and then you won't have it anymore. It's not, not an option. This, this is how it's done right here. If you want to take it, if you want to go full proho, and I don't have one, I need to order another one because I gave it to a friend of mine, and I've reviled myself. I gave it to a friend of mine on a wildland fire, I'll bet four or five years ago. And they, they make a, um, an aluminum wedge holder for, for your felling wedges. And it's small, and it holds two wedges. And I wear that on the other side. So one hand, pop, you pull out your wedges. Second hand, you pull out your, your pounder or your axe. You drive them in there. And I, for some reason, I cannot get, get around to remember to reorder one of those things. And I don't have one to show you. But if you go on their website, that's a, that's, I would order this one. And that one. If you have any questions, you know, there's lots of different sizes. Whatever your axe is that you're going to use for a pounder, just um, send him an email and give him the dimensions, and he can tell you which one to get. So you get one that's going to fit the best. You don't want it too sloppy. And look how thin and trim it is. It doesn't hang, doesn't catch on stuff. I put a lot of time on these, and they're, they're excellent. Excellent. I love them. Grizzly Peak Enterprises. All right, gentlemen, it's time to, time to wrap it up here. We have, we'll, we'll wrap it up with our friend Tony Baloney. 
and new member. Been with us for a month now. Prop the phone up on the chainsaw filing. Prop that phone up on the chainsaw filing. Well, I'm, do you guys, you guys want a member's live stream of the chainsaw filing? Is that what you're asking me? I'll do that. I'll do that. Yep, I, just, I have a couple more chains to do here. So if you guys, the members, would like to come over and see that, I'll prop my phone right up here, and we'll continue on, and we'll do that. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to go get my lunch, and then um, maybe this afternoon, I'll, when I come back and finish it, I'll do that. So if you haven't, if you're not getting notifications, we'll close with this. Uh, go over to my channel page, and there'll be a little bell there. You can click on that bell. A lot of folks have been having trouble saying that they're not getting notifications when we're going live with the member streams. And those things are definitely impromptu. Like whenever, this, whenever the spirit moves, I'll turn on my phone and, and start those for you guys. I, I, I'm not going to schedule them because I don't really know what, what I'm going to do. So go over there and click that. What's the, what's the chat doing here? Are we getting sevens? I'm assuming you, sevens means yes. That, is that going to be the official yes? Okay. Well, I'm not using anything fancy, but I will show you. I have had a, I've had kind of a love-hate relationship with this sharpener. I did a video on this years ago and I and I thought I thought that this was the solution. This is made by steel. It's an all-in-one sharpener and it's a brilliant design. It, it has solved a lot of problems and I you know I have every possible uh, sharpening solution. I've got um, I can't even remember the names. I've got the Grandbergs with the electric sharpeners. I have had the um, the Oregon benchtop mounted chisel grinding ones, like a full professional ones. I've had the um, the Northern Tool, which is also a, a nice nice one. I use that, but I keep coming back to this. And what the, what I kind of went away from it and and kind of put it relegated it back to an old firewood box. And the last wildland fire I was on. I was on a saw crew with a bunch of new sawyers and we were, and I've worked with a lot of new sawyers on, on a lot of different crews and it's a disaster, man. You've got, you've got these high school kids, half of them are, are girls or college kids that get a job on a type two crew. They go through sawyer training which qualifies them to basically not to fall any timber or do anything dangerous, but it qualifies them to, to brush out roads or fire lines. And what that means is they'll get a whole bunch of us together, six, seven sawyers <clears throat> with a swamper. You work with a swamper, that's the person that's pulling the brush and stuff away, and you have to clear alongside roads. So the division supervisor will say, okay, Here's the road. It's an old gravel fire road. And it's got vine maple and brush, and you know how they are. Uh, we need to clear 50 feet both directions. This is going to be a fire break. We're going to hold the line right here, uh, get to work. And it's a, lot, it's a tough job, man. You're all day there, you and your swamper, cutting, and you're cutting down in the ground. You know, so you're cutting brush and vine maples. So all day long, chains are coming off. People are getting their bars stuck you know, in rocks, not, you know, just it's the worst possible situation for sawyers. You're constantly dulling your chainsaw. Well, in the past, with the traditional round file that we were all using, 
I have a background in it, have experience with it. My granddad taught me how to do it. I've done, you know, done my own logging and stuff, always done firewoods. I know how to file them. It was, it's not a problem for me. I know how to do these things. But these kids, you know, they haven't grown up with these things. They didn't know how to, they don't know how to do that. So they turn them loose with a file and it get what happened on every job I was on, I ended up just stopping working and I became the full-time saw sharpener for the day. And that's what I did all day long because these poor kids would hit a rock with their chainsaw and stop working. And now they come back, drag it back down to the road. They're sitting there in the gravel, you know, on their lap trying to, you can only imagine, you know, it's got to be done properly. It's got to be done at the right angle or it's just not going to work. And so they'll file and file and mess around with this thing, waste a half hour, think they got it going, get back up on there, and the thing cuts worse than it did before they hit the rock. This is the, this is the situation, and they can't figure out what's going on, right? So I ended up, they see, oh, your saw, how come your saw works so much better than mine? Oh, let me show you here. So I ended up every single time just setting up on a stump, bring me the saws, and that's what I do all day long is file chainsaws with file, file, file. The last fire I was on, up in, it was a big one up in Washington State, they showed up, they had these, these, these steel sharpeners. And I, I knew what they were. I, I'd had one. I'd done a video on it, you know, a couple years before. And they were using them. All these new sawyers and these new filers, new, new sawyers were, were having good success. And they took these out of their pocket. It's an all-in-one. Run that thing across there. It's idiot-proof, very easy to use. It does two things. It's got two files in it. Not only is it, is it file, filing down the gullets, but it's also filing down the depth gauges, so you don't have to have the extra step. I mean, it's quite an ingenious, clever deal. After seeing that and how well it worked for the new sawyers and just how quick and efficient it was, I, I went back to it, and it is, it's a good system. If you've struggled with filing chainsaws in the past, this is for you. It, it's legit. It works. It's a very well-built piece of equipment. It's small, it's compact, fits in your back pocket, lasts a long time, and you'll get great results. So I use it. I use it. I grab, that's, what, that's what I was up there using it right there uh, on, my, um, on my 461. It, it's a good one. We have a super chat from Dr. Pepper. One last one. Shout out to you, Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper writes, uh, still have not found a good wedge pouch. Yeah. The Grizzly, there, there's two. Uh, there's the leather and there's the aluminum. The leather is good too. This is what most of the, the professional followers up here use. And I think it's only because they don't know, they don't know about the aluminum one. So I have both. Um, and this is a good way to go right here. This is a leather. And usually you could put, this would put a four wedge pack in here. And it's pretty, pretty straightforward. It uh, has a, just got a sewn-in loop. Just goes through your belt. If you're right-handed, you'll wear this on the left hip like this. And you'll have your axe on the right hip like this. So when you reach around, you can grab one or the other. And also, if you're cutting commercial timber, you're going to have a Spencer tape. Spencer tape is a 50-foot tape that mounts right on this clip right here. Because you're, you know, you're scaling your logs, as I show. You know, the mill will tell you what they want, or your company that you work for 
we're cutting 33s or we're cutting 18s or whatever it is. So you need to measure each one so you know where you're at. So as you, you put this with the horseshoe nail in it, stick it in the butt of the cut, the fresh cut, and as you walk down limbing, the tape pulls out and then you measure. I just take the bar and put a little hash mark on there and then cut, pull it, pull the nail loose, it retracts, and that's how, that's how pros carry it right there. They'll have this, a leather, or an aluminum one. I've seen the aluminum ones on fire. I think the aluminum ones are better because these seem to hang and sag. See how they kind of sag, you know, the leather? And they're really bad when you're cutting in the wet. They get really, you know how leather gets when it's wet. It gets all sodden and soggy and it sags even more. And I don't know, it's always felt kind of sloppy. I, I'm not, I still use them. I've been using it because I gave away my aluminum one. But the aluminum one is way better. So I would recommend that, Dr. Pepper. Go to Grizzly Peak Enterprises, get the two wedge pack. Unless you're a professional faller, you don't need four. You can get away with two. If you need to carry four, your chaps are usually going to have a cargo pocket on the front. You can slide two there on your thigh, and that's a good spot there too. Yep, this is the way to go. All right, shout out to JT Mark, our newest member. Welcome. Good to have you here. You will get to enjoy, you get to enjoy your member's badge, the official 940 next to your name. You get to enjoy the brand new emoji, Wim Hof and the 19X and the chainsaw filing extravaganza. It's not going to be long because I only have a couple chains left, but I'll bring you guys in on it. Thank you for watching. May God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers. We pray for you guys constantly. Our family is always under attack. We are uh, twisting tails, and we definitely have the attention of the adversary, and he's not happy about it. So do keep us in your prayers. We're, we go forward in faith, knowing that our Lord will take care of us. And we do appreciate your prayers, and we definitely appreciate your support. It makes it possible for us to be here. So thank you all. Thank you for the new members. I'll see you over after lunch for the chainsaw filing. So keep an eye on for that. Oh, I open for that. Give me an hour or so, and I'll be back. We'll see you guys in the next stream.